Hello, hola, um, film god podcast listening crew them. Uh, hope you're all well. Second week in September. Like, honestly, we're going to be sitting around a Christmas table before you know it. Um, thank you all for coming in and, and hitting download and listening to the episode. Um, really means the world and it will always keep meaning the world to me that that so many of you are kind of listening and, and giving up your free time to, to to have a little listen to me babble on with people um but this episode it's just it's just got it all it really does it kind of you know listen to a man of this caliber with this experience talking such passionate terms about what he does and how he does it and why he does it um should just be a great lesson to that next generation of you know i was going to say costume designer but actually film crew in general um and for those of you that are kind of fully back to work you know i hope you're all keeping safe um i know the kids are back at school it's the second week of september um we're almost back to normal he says um so please sit back enjoy um drop a review in the apple podcast that really means the world share and like all the instagram stuff and see you soon team big love let's get started so ladies and gents film family this episode is going to be amazing so just stop whatever the fuck you're doing sit down relax make sure you got your cup of tea your glass of wine with you because We've just been talking for, Zoom says we've been chatting for the last half an hour already. I haven't even fucking pressed record. Oh, no. Holy moly. So, without further ado, what is your name, sir, and what is your role on the call sheet? Hello, my name's Mr. Gammon. I'm a costume designer and fashion stylist to boot. Often I'll be listed as costume designer, wardrobe uh, stylist, if it's an American job, or mm-hmm. just a fashion stylist. But I, I wear it proudly. I've... I've Put my hat on and say I'm a costume designer. And you do wear a lot of hats. That is a thing. Oh, yeah. You love a hat. Yeah, cheaper than a toupee. <laughs> I've lost my hair, listeners, quite a while ago. But, uh, yeah, hat just, just sets off the beard. Yeah, I've got a beard as well, viewers. It looks good. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot of hats. But in a, in, a, in a way, there's a lot of hats. <laughs> the iPads. The iPads flipped. You've been pulled out. You've been pulled out. Your headphones got pulled out. I can't hear you. Uh, <laughs> stick the stick the headphones. <laughs> I can't hear you. You got brilliant. It's so exciting. <laughs> I still can't hear you. No, nothing. No, you got to plug it in or do so. I don't know. What? Okay, there you go. Now you're in. Now, back in. now I've lost picture. Oh, what? Now you're back. Just I'm back. Like Brexit. the enthusiasm. And it's like, fuck, I'm, I'm actually attached to this iPad. I'm gonna... <laughs> That's your fault. Oh, I'm God. Used to this. I'm, I'm like, I'm Bluetooth. I'm Bluetooth these days, bro. Oh, so ladies and gents, oh, I, I had to ask Mr. Gammon to go old school with the headphones just because of Bluetooth uh, headsets. The audio is awful, but he just totally forgot that he was connected to the iPad. <laughs> I'm flailing just... my arms around like a conductor. Oh, beautiful. So look, you Apologies. gave us your titles. 
what do all those titles mean to you? What is it? How does it make you feel? What does being on set as a wardrobe designer, costume stylist, what does it mean? Well, there are different roles for different jobs. So if I'm, uh, if I'm on a drama or a film or a TV production, then a costume designer is someone who looks at the scripts and basically um, designs their wardrobe that's fitting for their character. Mm -hmm. I'd say more in a commercial, you'd be a costume designer if you were putting pen to paper and designing a costume. Usain Bolt, superhero, designed his superhero costume. That's definitely a make. That's mm -hmm. definitely a design. It's yep. definitely costume design. And so in America, they have more of a tendency to call you the wardrobe stylist. And mm -hmm. so they're all labels. But I mean, I'm, um, I'm head of the department. And so I'm responsible. I'd say on a commercial from, uh, it's, it, you're kind of doing everything. You're a micro department compared to if you're on a film. Mm -hmm. And so by the time you've gone through your journey of having the wardrobe signed off, Mm -hmm. which we'll get to in a minute, you would basically be on set as a wardrobe supervisor. You're there basically to make sure that what was agreed looks good and looks on point for camera. Um, I think as the years go on, I then make sure that I've got my team with me. So I'm basically um, looking after the guys in my team. So they're on set doing continuity, doing checks, making sure it looks great. I'm normally in the background like... Uh, well, I'd say like a rooster. There's only one rooster in the hen house in costume. And so I'll be there fluffing my feathers up and going up to the monitor and saying to the client, looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, this is, yeah, do you like that jacket? Oh, yeah, lovely. <laughs> so often I would say my role in commercials is a bit like a cheerleader. And you're an ambassador of the director or the production company, paving the wave between a, a client, the top of the tree, if you like. Then you've got the production, and then you've got the ad agency that are then putting the treatment together, coming up with the scripts. And then you've got the production company where the directors then made a treatment based on the uh, script that the ad agency came up with that got signed off by the client. And then the director would then have a producer who'd then say, who do you think would be the best person to costume design this job with regards to my role? I would then get a phone call, checking availability. And depending on what the script would be, I'd either be mood boarding starting a dialogue with the director to get the tone of a job established um and often even if it's the most simplest of jobs in this day and age the fashion is to make things look filmic it's less box fresh straight out of h um h&m primark you know all that stuff and when you're doing those kind of jobs there's still that journey an applied method of prepping your job so it starts off by the dialogue of kind of mood boards, images, a bit of to and fro. Then once you get signed off, once you know who your cast are, depending on your budget, I'm then normally getting a uh, Luton van, uh, a couple of balaclavas, and I'm ram raiding the shops. The budgets are rubbish these days. So what can I do? And so from that, you're then doing options and choices so you can dress people. Nice. Amazing. That's it. That's it. That's it. That that's, more, yeah, that's more or less that's it. it. So thanks for watching. Thanks so, very much, guys. Take care. Have a lovely time. to give a heads up to. Are... <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that creative process, like what, what I've started to really love about the, the journey that I've gone through with this podcast is that I'm talking to so many very creative people that all have very different ways of being creative, but are all that just have a kind of essence of similarity. So I just want to get... Yeah. A, a, like my first thing that I'd want to uh, hear from you is that, you know, when you're like, 
I'm doing my mood boards or I'm doing my treatments or I'm doing my thing. What, how do you start that creative process? Do you just sit down, read the thing, listen to some music, go for a walk, go for a run, have a well, swim? Well, I think it's interesting that the creative process often, if it's a director you know really well, there's a shorthand. So you kind of know a tone of what they're after. There mm. might be a reason why they always keep asking you back is because you're on point and you know that there's a bit of trust there. If it's someone you don't know, you check out their work, have a look and see what kind of stuff they've done in the past. See whether there's humour in there. See how their colour palettes, how they generally like to work. Obviously, reading the treatment is a good kind of guide. And then when we're even pulling images, I think often I'll have... When I used to do pop music, you just constantly listen to the music. My word, I used to be I used to be busted stylist. Oh, come on. Viewers, listeners, listen this to this. I'm, you're listening to old school here. I used to style hearsay. Or I used what? to call them heresy. Stop it, you. But I'm telling you, know, and it's funny, you know, that was like the end for me. That was almost like when music was what well, the end of music, a lot of work was happening there was a lot of money people were buying people were buying those shit records it wasn't wasn't oh, yeah. necessarily cool no, but no. you were there to try and make something cool look cool or something that wasn't cool look cool how does that work then because that's quite an interesting you know you kind of the start of that kind of very stylized image in my head the spice girls it was like they all had a character each character had a costume yeah. it was all very well basic. i mean well i mean did you, you have wanna... that for hearsay well, yeah, I mean, I definitely did. I found, I mean, with hearsay, it was quite strange. I was doing, I mean, with, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm still at the early stage of my career. And I would mm. basically think that during that time, I was doing pop videos, a quick turnaround of different types of jobs, all quite modest, a mixture from, you know, rock, pop, uh, hip hop. You don't stop. Whoa, and I lyrics. think what we then, <laughs> what we then kind of found was, I worked with a couple of producers who then knew a video commissioner and I'd be chatting to them on set and they would basically go, we've got a band and we've got real problems. Mm. And I'd go, okay, tell. And they would basically say... They can't sing, they can't they dance, can't dance but, but they need they to look great. Right. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, Cisco, you're right. The, the weird thing is they had six stylists in six months and nobody liked them or... You know, it was either too high maintenance, so there'd be a high turnover of different people. Yeah. And I think it, with that particular project, um, I kind of ticked a lot of boxes. Mm. I think the amazing thing about working with those kids at that time is, um, yeah, it wasn't a cool thing to do. And I remember bumping into other stylists going, well, I see you've joined our side of things. Because before that, I used, to be, um, I used to be a fashion designer making clothes for stylists. Oh, wow. And um, and the weird thing that I found was that you then have to have uh, no disrespect to the kids, but you had to have a certain amount of sympathy to the fact that you were far more creative than they'll ever be. Mm. But you're providing a service for them to make them look as as good as you possibly could. Yeah. You know, hey, I'm not a plastic surgeon. I'm just dressing them. But, mm. you know, I really liked those kids and it was a really kind of fun time. But I mean, with the, with the main kind of core of inspiration when I was when I was starting on any band, it was listen to the music, repeatedly listen to it, see where you are with that kind of thing. I'm I'm not so known for doing music anymore. I mean, the last thing I did was for uh, the wonderful Sam Pillings. Uh, we shot in Ukraine uh, nice. for DJ Shadow, mm -hmm. uh, De La Soul, wow. and it was there were no recording artists in it. It was a purely amazing project where he reenacted the moon landing 
And nice. to be asked to do that job was just amazing. And it was period costume. It was a, a large cast for a promo. We had to make sure that it was of the period, kind of 69, Apollo 11, mm. getting making sure that the moon landings were, that it detail was, was on point, oh, yeah. getting the astronaut suits correct. And then, of course, um, it's all about uh, a fake moon landing. So there's Stanley Kubrick in there and there's all the kind of film crew. I mean, the job is, from a designer's amazing. point of view, is amazing. We still worked for a color palette. But even when I was designing that and I knew that it had to be in the right period, I repeatedly listened to that music. I repeatedly listened to kind of get a nuance of the beat of the, of the pace of the film. And that job was an absolute gift. But if you wanted to rewind, I, if you want to, if you want to ask me, ask me the question, how did you, how did you, what was the, the no, nugget, there's, the there's been a few, there, Yeah, there's been a few questions that we've just started and just gone off in tangents. <laughs> so, just, I, let, we'll start again. So what is if your I'm name? I'm picking up a record stylus <laughs> and there's Ponky at the front of the, of, of the, that was just, we suddenly played the side two then. What are we doing? Tracks B. Of the, so I guess, um, but like the, the, the initial bit was, how do you start your creative process? But then too, it was like, you know, when you do those projects, and especially with, with a band like Hearsay, do you just have to be very specific and just say, right, you know, you're... I think you've got to put your... You've got to remember that that music's not for you. Yeah. You Not all of us can do cool projects. I mean, I had friends who were working on Uncle, Massive Attack, Porter's mm. Head. I wasn't wow. that guy. I didn't get those jobs, but I was still prolific. You know, I bought a, you know, I bought a flat. You know, I, I worked with Hearsay so much that it nearly put me in hospital. I, I got shingles. I worked every wow. day for six months, every day, seven day week, six months. Um, but, you know, I, I, they, they were different times. You know, mm. it paid well and I bought a flat. It was kind of amazing. Um, but you've got to remember that that music's not for you. Mm. The reason why you got booked is not to make them look like you. It's to not, you've got to be worried about that makeup artist who turns up with Marilyn Monroe makeup and then, makes everyone look like they look like Marilyn Monroe. Mm. That's not good makeup design. Amazing. So let's, I'm, I'm going to ask it. I just, I want to get your, your process for creativity. So I've, I'm a director. We just had a chat. Yeah. You've now got what, what a week or two, however, what, how long do you yes. give yourself to kind of give them a mood board? What, how, what do you, how do you well, start often, that? I think often you're, sometimes it could be, uh, are you available? Can you do something in the next two days? Mm. How quickly can you turn around some turn around. visuals and images and all that kind of stuff? Yep. Um, and so often what I tend to do is on certain scripts, um, you're frantically trying to pull the right type of images. Nice. It's a bone of contention for my assistants because I always say to them, for certain directors, you don't want to pull a reference image that looks like it's from a Getty picture library mm. or from Google and you put in mum, jeans, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I always say to my assistants, imagine we've traveled forward in time and we've taken a still from the commercial that we're wardrobing and then put that in the fucking board. Because what you want is the right casting, the right wardrobe, of course, but the right location, the right type of grade, and the right type of filming. So when I'm then prepping a job for visual references at all, and I'm a pain in the ass for my assistants, is I'm saying you've got to find stills from movies or from commercials, but I don't want an obvious thing. Don't put in, don't give me a screen grab from EastEnders. Yeah, it's a mum by a kitchen, 
no, 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 that's not what I want. What I'm after is like a Mike Lee film or something, if the treatment is where it has to feel very realistic, um, you know, like um, Pete Risky over at Rat and Stick or Sarah Donlop, if they're doing a job that just needs to feel filmic, but it's not, you know, show busy costume craziness, mm. but kind of just mum, dad, jeans, t-shirts and natural looking family, then you've got to, you've got to think about European films or you've got to look at, Mike Lee movies or um, just things that just have a tone to it. Mm. So my process would start that kind of way. Often with other jobs, when it is designing, say like the Usain Bolt costume, we just did uh, a, you know, a menagerie of drawings and it would then go through a filter of agency client. So you and I know that when we're uh, on set, if there's a wobble over wardrobe, it's never a wobble over wardrobe on the superhero costume that costs 15 grand to make in a week. Yes. The wobble will be on, on Nana's cardigan yeah. or Daddy's shirt because they're worried that it doesn't reflect on their audience, their client, mm. because they think the dad doesn't look cool enough or he looks too cool. Mm. Whereas if you've designed Usain Bolt's superhero costume, by the time you've got to set, there's this anticipation of what the wardrobe's going to look like. And I'm full of swagger and, Hello, lady, you know, and I'm doing <laughs> all of that because I know I'm on point. Yeah. Because we went through that journey of, selecting the outfit, the costume, the fittings, the, co- you know, the, the fabric and all that kind of stuff. And I'll then go, do you want to see Usain? Here's it. And then he'll turn up and they're all, <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of anticipation from agency and client. And that's... And so Have that's you tried it on it beforehand when, or do you just get someone that's like a body uh, it was a little, I mean, uh, it was a little bit political with celebrities. With Usain Bolt, I was told strictly I was only allowed... 10, 15, 20 minutes. Before and I was the like, shoot. Yeah. And if you see that particular... Um, it didn't take like Christian Bell like two hours to get into the Batman suit. It's like, we are going to do yeah. in 15 minutes? I know. This Have is, a cup I of mean, tea and then say goodbye. But this is the... I mean, I'll, I'll, just to explain to your listeners that the, mm-hmm. the premise of the job that we did for Park Pictures was Usain Bolt doing a riff on the Kingsman walks into like a Savile Row tailors. He meets Richard E. Grant and um, he said, have you come for your appointment? presses a button, the doors open, you walk through and there's a whole plethora of superhero gadgetry and kind of art department props and set. It was a fab job to work on. And um, Is it out? You say Bolt ties on loads of costumes. Sorry? It's out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it oh, went yeah. out a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, but I was going to say all of a sudden um, it was like NDA. I and... mean, BBH were the agency. Oh, yeah. Um, they don't have the account anymore, so it's now a completely different vibe. Oh. And so... Um, you know, it looks really good. It's beautifully shot. And um, so Usain Bolt has, and we ended up doing like three or four different Usain Bolt as a superhero. I can't remember what they called the character now, but um, we made him variations. We ended up doing jetpacks and nice. laser bolt things. And people would say, oh, but that's props. Surely you give that to production design. In this particular case, I was almost insistent that, you know, my people did it and mm. that, and I relish doing that kind of stuff. You know, I recently did uh, futuristic um, spacesuits for, um, uh, what's his name? What's the actor who plays Thor in... Um, um, Chris, um, Chris, Chris Helmsworth. Thank oh, yeah. you. Um, so we made him astronaut suits and stuff. And uh, we couldn't even get his sizes because often agency or his agent would sometimes be... And it, it's, they're protecting the interests of their clients, so they don't want all the information to go out. You know, no criticism on them. It's more that they need to protect as much information as they possibly can. But when you're on a tight time scale that's pretty tight, you then have to 
take liberties wherever you can. I think we kind of got in contact with some people who worked at Marvel through different costume people to try and find out sizing and stuff. But you know what? He turned up on set, he put it on and it fit him. Boom! Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and it all lit up and shit. So, you know, the helmet was all kind of backlit. Chris Helmsworth, another name. Nice. Oh, dropped. You dropped that on. You know. Do you pick that up? Here you go. No, no, no. You. I'll give you another one. It started off with his. But the weird thing for me is at the beginning of my career, like my second job was the Rolling Stones. Wow. And so my well, let's joke talk about that is, then. So what's your what was the process before that second you know, before the second and the first job? Always yeah. love costume, always love designing, was good at um, art. I made a joke at school. I made a joke at school, listeners. Always stand by the courage of your convictions because uh back in the old days, you can imagine Mr. Gammon is a little boy, I still have the beard and moustache, but a full head of hair. <laughs> Hello. And it was like, we're making a joke at school. We had to choose our GCSEs. We had to choose our GCSEs. And it was like, um, what subjects are you going to do? And I said, needlework, because I knew it'd be funny. And yeah. so the whole class ripped laughing. And I remember, you know, everyone was a bit backward back in the 80s. Mm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of laughter and hilarity. And you don't mean it, you don't mean it. And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And it was like, go see the headmaster. And it was just a state school. I just, you know, I grew up in suburbia. And, mm. um, it was very funny, but obviously I was then in that awkward situation where the headmaster goes, do you really mean it? Do you really? And I, at the time, was going, well, girls are allowed to do metalwork and needlework. Yeah. Why can't boys do? You know, and um, they said, all right, you can do it. And, um, and from that, that was the kernel of me kind of showing off, and I ended up staying on to do wow. it. And my educational career would have been GCSEs, A-levels, art foundation course. Um, then I did the uh, degree then after the degree, I went to the Royal College of Art, did an MA. So I've got letters after my name, MA, and I B-A-M-A-R-C-A. Oh, wee. I'm not RC, I've got an R-C-A. Oh, Royal yeah. College of Art. M-N-S, B-H-S, M-F-I. There's only like eight places in the country. So from that little joke, by the time I was 24, I was designing and making clothes for Rolling Stones. And so when I left the Royal and I did a collection and my collection was, it's weird. It was kind of, it was, you know, at that time I wanted to be a fashion designer. Mm. And I then thought if I could get famous people to wear my clothes, then I could get backing. I could get some notoriety. Mm. I could then end up being a big fashion designer. And I kind of, I think I realized quite early on that A, I didn't have the capital to do that. And I didn't want to do it enough to want to do it. Yeah. And I had the fortune of, you know, back then, this is so old school, listeners. I was faxing record companies. Do you remember oh, a fax? Yeah. I was faxing letters and examples of my work. You know, like Brilliant. a pixelated black image of a... But I did a collection at the Royal College of Art that was uh, very glam rock. It was all kind of ruffled biker's jackets. It would kind of looked like 70s ruffled biker's jackets, gold lure. I mean, it looked rock and roll. Mm. And... Um, uh, I got in contact with a record uh, video commissioner who then got in contact with a stylist who then came around to see the collection, who then borrowed it for a shoot. I then got on well with that recording artist who then knew the management for the Rolling Stones, who then said their costumes, you know, their stylist is then looking for different designers to do the Voodoo Lounge tour. And I ended up making not masses of stuff, but I made like, three or four bikers jackets for, for Mick Jagger and a couple of things for Ronnie Wood. And that was it. And about four years later, I got another call and I ended up making stuff uh, for Keith Richards as well. And we did the, the wow. tour that came after that. 
Bridges to Babylon. And, uh, and then at that time, I then started getting known for, I was making clothes for uh, Bewitched, uh, Busted, well, no, Busted the came witch. later, but I was doing... Are they the, the, Irish, the Irish bands? Yeah. I oh, fight oh, like my dad. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. The weird thing is, I was going to... Because you said any amusing stories, my amusing Bewitched story was I had to just... They had a stylist, and I did loads of designs and costume designs, and they then got commissioned by the record label. And, uh, and we did all this. We were taking denim jackets, taking them mm. apart and remaking them um, in a late 90s kind of style and, um, and then we were covering it all in Del Monte crystals. I was off my bean at Glastonbury. My poor assistant had to do it. <laughs> Sorry, Madeline. <laughs> and Madeline, uh, so she was my first assistant. And um, it was like, oh, I've got tickets. To oh, I've really got a whole weekend. Yeah, yeah. Glastonbury 98, I've got to go. And uh, so, yeah, so she kind of, you know, cursed me, but did an amazing job. But, it, it's, uh, but in a way, that's kind of how my career kind of started. I was known as a... Uh, as a fashion designer who'd make clothes for stylists mm. and so I would make kind of um you know I did uh I made stuff for the David Bowie tour I made kind of weird accessories for U2 um and then I think they got to a stage where I had a couple of stylists say would you like to assist us mm. would you like would you like me to assist them is what I mean mm. and that's when I almost had that light bulb moment where I I thought this is kind of this is interesting. This is good. Yeah. And I remember being on set going, yeah, I fucking love this. And the only trouble that I then had is I was quite arrogant back then. So I didn't want to assist anybody. And I thought I could just go straight into it. Mm. And that's what I did. So it was a bit of a struggle. <laughs> I, did, I then didn't get much set experience because I, I think I slowly started doing fashion styling, uh, fashion editorial. Mm. Um, I was still making. And then it got to a stage where there was a couple of producers who said, well, we know this guy who can costume design and he knows how to go to fashion PR companies. He knows how to go to Topshop and the high street and make it look designer. Mm. So I was then known as someone who could then turn that kind of stuff around. So it kind of the natural fit at that time seemed to be with pop because I was funny and I was good with the kids. So, you know, that's, that's how that kind of evolved. Um, so, we, you know, you kind of, you, you spoke we had a chat and you kind of gone through your educational bit and it was like thing, you got your BA, you got your MA, you got to the Royal College. At what point did you suddenly kind of go, right, I'm Mr. Gammon. Like, was that, was that a conscious decision that you wanted to, to create a. Oh, it's an interesting question. No, it's just, it's brilliant. I mean, it's an interesting question. It's that weird thing for a long time. I've always had people say, but what's his first name? Who's Mr. Gammon? (laughs) You know what? That's all kind of worked in my favor. Yeah, it's part of it. And the weird thing is, it was kind of like, it's that amazing thing where, you know, I've I've been so fortunate and lucky to even have an education and to, to have the opportunity of going to those places and have that remarkable educational career and be able to do all of that kind of stuff. And I think there's that weird thing when you're a kid, often for my, you know, for my friends who are working out their sexuality, they have a chance to come out when they're at college or, mm. you know, they, they work out their sexuality or their sexual preferences the older they become. Mm. And it's a fascinating time when you're in your late teens because you then just work out who you are. Mm. And I think for a long time, I kind of felt um, that it was a perfect stepping on point when I was at, you want to know the reason why I'm called Mr. Gammon? is I had a bunch of uh, older friends who took me under their wing when I was doing art foundation course and they were third year fashion students. So they're about to finish their educational career and I was about to start. They took me under their wing 
they help me with my portfolio and, and a foundation course is your step up to see if you can get into your own degree and this was at Harrow and these girls were remarkable and I kind of secretly had a crush on all of them and um, one day they went off to do like a Jane Austen project and they came back and said you're our Mr Darcy and I went what do you mean no we're going to call him Gammon we're going to call you Mr. Gammon from now on. And Stuck. you're going to stick to it. Yeah. And I think at that age, I was only 18. I was kind of smitten. I was a bit, <laughs> and the weird thing is it actually taught me about marketing because I then got into Middlesex where I did my degree. Mm. And on day one of the course, we we're all sat around a massive pattern cutting table and all these fresh new young fashion students all sat around and uh, everyone goes around the table and they're like, hello, my name's Sarah or, hello, my name's so-and-so and I come from Pinner or wherever. And they came to me and I said, hello, my name's Mr. Gammon, I'm from Harrow. No fucker spoke to me for about three weeks. <laughs> and even, it, and the, the Mr. Gammon thing then kind of continued. I was very insistent on it. Yeah. And even when I tried to get my first agent when I was fashion styling and I had a very kind of old school, a bit like absolutely fabulous, um, I had a, an agent who went, oh, darling, you haven't earned the chops to be called Mr. Gammon. And I was like, I don't think I want to be represented by you then. Yeah. You know, and it's, and yeah, so yeah. in one way, it was this silly joke. And you often did. there'd be this banter on set where people would say, okay, well, seriously, though, what is your first name? And I'd be like, Mr. It's only certain people <laughs> who are bothered about what Banksy's name is. I'm no Banksy, don't get yeah, me yeah. wrong, but the yeah, name yeah. thing. It stood me in good stead because some people now know me. I have a little bit of infamy. And the weird thing about costume designers, production designers, um, DOPs, it's a cult of uh, personality. Mm. You know as a, as a second that your first will want you because you're not a patsy. Mm. You don't want to be hoodwinked or bullied by crew, cast. You've got to get your shit done. And in one way, the Mr. Gammon thing has kind of maybe it's worked against me sometimes but generally it's been this fun kind of thing i take my work desperately seriously i don't necessarily take myself too seriously mm. but it's it's ended up being a mantle that's been a good way of people then remembering who is you know who's that guy you know it's yeah it's pretentious but a lot of the work we do is pretentious you know it's kind of you know it's part of that role and there'll be times we did a job recently and I went off set to make a phone call or to receive a phone call. Listeners, I'm on it on set. Don't think I'm going off networking. <laughs> and uh, I turned my back and um, the cast had changed. Do you remember this? this yeah, time? yeah. And we're in a residential house. So we're all like, um, uh, we're all like uh, limpets or little reptiles that you see on, on villa walls in that, in the, you know, when you're on, a, when you're on set. <laughs> Huddling in staircases. Yeah, when you're... When you're in a semi-detached house, well, not semi-detached, you never get us all in, but we're all huddled in a toilet or we're in the spare bedroom and don't move the creaky floorboards and all the rest of it. And I'm on the landing going, who fucking changed the wardrobe then? And my dear second Cisco here was going, was trying to, he had my back. He was going, hey, they can hear you. They're just, they're just there. I went, where are they? They're in there. And I walked in and I just went, guys, you don't pay the top dollar for Mr. Gammon for you to change the wardrobe. Oh, yes. Well, we just thought, I said, I don't need you to be thinking about it. But again, I use that Mr. Gammon thing as a way of having bravado. I'll be subservient if I need to be. Mm. But to push, you know, if you've got a cast of 200 and you've got to get everyone dressed 
and you've got a background artist going, I don't really want to wear this. I'm going, great, thanks for your contribution. You're wrapped. Um, because so I don't need, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't need their contribution on what the wardrobe needs to look like. I just need to dress them in the mm. time that's been allocated by the AD department. Mm. And so sometimes having the bravado of being the gammon is a lot of humour, but you then turn that around so that it's 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 well placed. You know, it's um, I'm there to provide a service, and mm. often I find that in something like costume on set. It can be super contentious. Now, you and I know that we'll be on set and there'll be a call that will come through to you to just go saying there's a massive wobble on wardrobe. Costume's not been signed off, which, listeners, that means that a wardrobe fitting is going on when the whole crew are cast and ready on set going, we're all standing around doing nothing and there's some poor costume designer or stylist who's then putting options of a t-shirt on the main actor and everyone's putting around that and you and i know that it's no poor reflection on the ad agency or the client or the director it's because there's a whole lot of people who need their opinions to be heard and they need to be saying this is a hiring firing moment Mm. and if we can't make this look right then we need to let's just go i'll tell you one thing and i've said this in meetings in front of agency and client i'll say is everyone happy with the kilo flow for lighting yeah and they've gone what I say, you don't know about lighting, so you're not going to have that opinion. But everyone knows whether someone looks like a Wally in the T-shirt or not. Yeah. You know, so that's why they often do it. And in no disrespect to their process. And so often what happens um, when you have that wobble and the first is sweating, the producer's sweating, going, we've got to get these shots. It's a two-day shoot. We haven't got mm. time to be spending two hours burning through the time about a shirt and a jacket, you know. And it's this kind of slightly abstract decision that needs to be made. One way I handled this, if you want an amusing anecdote, is, is I was on a job in Barcelona and we arrived super late and the, the producer and the director are in tatters. They've been in a pre-production meeting, which is where they discuss with a massive document every element of the shoot. Mm. And this had gone on for hours and they were hanging. And now I turn up with the wardrobe fitting and bizarrely because of some weird scheduling um, it was hours, it was in the evening and it was before the shoot the next day. Normally you do a wardrobe fitting, there's a bit of a cooling off period. So the, it could, I might be doing a wardrobe fitting and then there's a location scout or there's a tech recce and then you're onto the shoot, by which yeah, yeah. stage if there's any wobbles on wardrobe, we've, we've ironed them out. Fix it. Yeah, yeah. Copy that. And so we Copy did this that. job in Barcelona. We're, in. we're back in work mode. Copy that. Understood. Back to work. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and so we're on this job in, um, in Barcelona. And I've got like 20 actors to dress. It's like 8 p.m. And my producer and my director are in tatters. And they went, you're going to have to do this fitting on your own. Yes, I had my amazing uh, Portuguese crew. Um, and I had my 20 cast. And I, sh- I shoot my fittings like a photo shoot. Mm. So we're not on an iPhone at the back of the wardrobe split. We are colorama, soft light. We're trying to sell the wardrobe as best we can mm. so there is no procrastination on decision making and all that kind of stuff and um everything's set up it looks magnificent it's a whole massive hotel room you know a proper meeting room mm. full of stuff and there's like 20 people walk in not cast this is agency client chaperones and i went hi everyone i'm mr gammon i'm your uh, fashion stylist and costume designer to boot a uh, couple of questions before we start hands up who wrote this? 
two little hands went up. Okay, okay, hands up. Who's paying for this? And a very smart, elegantly dressed uh, gentleman in kind of designer black puts mm. his hand up, and I went, "Okay, I'm prepared to listen to you three, but the rest of you fuckers can shut up." And the only reason why I did that is I took a gauge of the room. I knew yeah. I could be a bit cheeky and get nice. away with it. We had to get through that process mm. because the theater, the domain is mine. The domain is not mine on set. The domain is, the domain is mine in the wardrobe fitting. Mm. I become this exotic creature. I will listen to notes. I will do what's needed. I will get that process done. But you need me to direct that. It's like a shoot. You've got to be there going, okay, bring the actor over. Let me do the photo shoot. No, no, no. Take your hands out of your pockets. Make sure that you look. Give me posture. Give me, you know. And I love that because I've had direct. I've had directors who say, "I don't know any costume designer who lights their fitting shots like you do." Mm. And you know, it's important because you're showing due process towards what you're doing as well as you can. You're using another skill set. And, and is that because uh, of your background? Because you came? Because you did a bit of steals? Because no, you did I'm a, a bit, bit of a show off? Well, maybe I think. I think if you speak to most of my sisterhood and brother in, in costume, they're all remarkable creative people. Mm. And most of them have done high fashion, period costume. The amazing thing about commercials is that you don't do a soap and you stay in a soap. Mm. You are doing high fashion, celebrity, you're doing crowd, you're doing period, you're dealing with a difficult agency or difficult client. And remember with an agency and a client, the reason why they're worried is this is a million pound campaign to them. The shoot might not be. They might not be spending that money on, on the camera, you know, the, the crew yeah, and that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. It still might be a budget job, but they're spending money between Coronation Street. That's going to be top dollar. And so that process where they're going, I don't know if that purple shirt is the right purple shirt for them. You know, and often it's not because of the wardrobe. It's because they all need to be seen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being dismissive about their process, but fuck me. There are times when they just need to be heard. And so someone who's coming up needs to be heard over their boss. Someone else needs to have a voice. The client's, you know, chaperone needs to say something as well. Mm. And there are times, Cisco, where I've done fittings where I've gone, okay, everyone happy with Ainsley Harriet's wardrobe? Okay, 80% of the room like that outfit. Okay, if we change the pants, put the first pants on. We've got 90% of the room liking the pants. Okay, <laughs> what about we change the hat, the second hat, the, eight pe the Peaky Blinders hat? 99% of the room like the hat. Okay, who doesn't like any element of that? Are we nearly there? We're nearly there. Come on, give me this. It's like you're, you're the, you've got Come a on, hammer. You've got a gavel. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing, so you're doing this whole kind of thing because you're trying to sell it. And then people, what happens in that, that culture is they're then going, we love Mr. Gammon. We feel reassured with him. Mm. I then a little voice was then heard on that particular fitting. And I heard someone say, I don't really like his trousers. It was my assistant, Susko. No. I was going, what the fuck what are all the people to doing? let me down? I was going, you're there to prop up the fence. You're there to yeah. pick the shit up off the floor. Don't get me wrong. I have a duty of care for my assistants, but come on. Don't, don't undermine it. I said, we don't need your opinion as well. Why don't we just open up the doors and just ask the person who's serving <laughs> the coffees as well? We don't need everyone's opinion. Everyone's got an opinion. No. As you said, it's the but, two that created it and the one that's paying for it. Yeah, and also from our does point that, of view, there might that, be times. I was going to say because that kind of like, that creative process in an AD's world is like the buck stops with the director. That's it. That's where yeah. we go. That's as high as we go because that's our chain of command. But you also is that where know you go then you, as a wardrobe stylist. Or but you, you notice this as a second and as a first that sometimes there's a wait, there's a pause. Who's the producer talking to? The producers on the on the on the walkie-talkie 
they're by a monitor. They're in that hot room mm. with those people that I'm being cheeky about who, don't get me wrong, they pay my fucking bills. Thank you very much. The producers, they're handling people that she or he is protecting us from. Yeah. Where they're saying to a client, what do you mean you don't like the shot? Or you think the, the product is two millimeters too far over from the right hand? You know, that process, those amazing producers um, who have to handle that side of it, who in that room, charming them, listening to their small talk, making sure that they're well looked after. We're providing a service for those people mm. because sometimes there is the craft in the filmmaking, but we're also providing a service for people who are not film people, mm. who are going to freak out about that purple shirt, who are going to insist on having, you know, a latte that's made out of almond milk. You know, yeah. you know the service goes beyond what's on camera because well, this, it's, it's big business and we need that business. People. It's like non-creative people yeah, but, I mean, making creative, creative decisions. Yeah, it's just I'm being dismissive. They are creative. Don't oh, yeah. get me wrong. I think I think there are times when we can be in our own bubble for our own departments and mm. go, wardrobe signed off. I brought a truckload of stuff anyway. Um, word, sister's coming over saying, why aren't these guys ready? And I've gone, mate, didn't any, we're, we're going again on the, on the mum. Yeah. They don't like the pleated skirt. But often I'll, um, you know, and it's their process. And I think you then have to have that steel. That's when cheeky Mr. Gannon comes in by managing those yep. kind of people. Remember, the job's a gift. I love this job. And you know what I love about the job? It's the people. You know, we can be in a process, whether it's freezing cold, pouring down with rain, trying to make people look like they're on, on the summer holiday and we're shooting in Bognor Regis and it looks like shit. We are there to make things look as we possibly can because we're filmmakers and that's what we do. Mm. But the other thing that I love about the job with the people is hopefully as me in the costume department is a duty of care. And that goes from the young men and women who work under me all the way through to that difficult cast member or that celebrity, all the way through to the agency or the client who are paying for it. Mm. And being able to find that, it is a fine line. There are times when I don't want to push it too much. I do push it too much. <laughs> but there's a, there is a way where you can go, eh, okay, I, I hear your pain. Mm. You know, and it's, um, um, you know, the only thing I can't abide by is people being rude. Yeah. And I've said to a client, you know what? We're always at home to Mr. Please and Mrs. Thank you. Thank you. Because I still think there's a way of going, well, you can get the best out of people, but be nice. Come on. I mean, it's like, I understand this is your first time on set and I understand you're sinking 10 mil into this, but be nice because I've done this before and I'll be doing it again next week, as will all of my crew downstairs. And you can dick around as much as you like, but we're still going to be doing this again for someone else with the same fears and anxieties. Mm. And so, you know, I love it. And I think I always want to make sure that, you know, my crew are always, we have a laugh and we, and again, it's that duty of care. I need people to want to come and work with me again. I can be moody and I'll push people and I'll push to get the best out of people. And I might be grumpy, but there's always a please or a thank you. And it, it can be tricky in wardrobe because it's that weird thing where it sounds like I'm ranting a bit. Your viewers are going, yeah, yeah, yeah he is. But there's, there's something <laughs> Go, where your episode. You the weird away. thing about costume is that it's, it's a bit like hair and makeup. We're seen as the fluffy end of the filmmaking. Hmm. But 
But I'll tell you what, those fuckers are in front of camera and they're in front of the bloody set and they're the ones being lit doing their performance. But it's reflected in how it's reflected in the industry for awards and how it's written about in the industry mags and websites. And costume and hair and makeup is seen as this really important thing before we're shooting the pre-production when we're about to when we're about to turn over but it's like the least recognized thing once we've wrapped and once we've done i mean you know that as ad's i mean it's like there's no due consideration for that difficult shoot where you have that cast of thousands and you've got them all in sync to run over that hill at the same time and take off their hats and do whatever they whatever you need them to do um I still love it, sis. I love it. It's it's such it's a gift. Coming back, know? man. We're coming back. We've had what three, four months now of. Yeah, I mean you're right. I, I mean it's like sausage. Yeah, and it's an interesting. It's an interesting time. I think it's it's that thing where there's an interesting analogy with we had this wobble during the banking crisis, mm. and it got busy, and it got busy because we needed to encourage people to go out and buy shit they don't need. And I know we're in film but we're in commercials in film. Mm. And yes, we're trying to make shiny images so that we can entice people who do watch Coronation Street or terrestrial TV or streaming online or wherever they get their adverts from because we need them to, to buy stuff. It, it's a model that still works. And mm. yes, it will change. People are buying more subscription-based uh, content from Disney Plus and Netflix and the usual kind of, you know, Apple and all the other people who are getting in on, on all of that service but they'll always be finding a way that we can try and entice filmmakers to try and make the shiniest, most beautiful film. Often you, I mean, I did a drama. I felt there's been commercials that have had more empathy in the 45 seconds that ended up on, on film than some of the six hour dramas that I've done, mm. because it's still about good writing and, and um, good filmmaking. Is that ranty enough for you, Cisco? Oh. Listen to me. God. It's amazing because you're talking about like I haven't needed to ask a question. I did. I asked. I think I've asked you one question. How are you? How question. Did, what do no, you? Like, I've asked you your name, you the call cool sheet, and ship. how do you be creative? No, and no, that's no. it. That's it. That's no. all I needed to ask. You steered the ask. ship, Cisco. You steered the <laughs> ship. You know, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big ship, <laughs> but I work for a tiny budget. That's the advert over. Hashtag yeah, nice. at whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, there's. There then is what have you got? Process. I guess, I guess, you know, we've, we've kind of, we, we know, you, we, we learned your history. We, you know, the people that have worked with you know, know about you. They know your energy. They know what they get. If you now, having had all of that experience, would you want to go back to yourself at the degree level when you're at, at any point back? And would you have any words of advice to yourself? Well, um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I do find that there are, I have always liked the organic way that I've gone into stuff. And there are some amazing contemporaries of mine who would have started off doing very much what I did, a bit of fashion, a bit of pop music, a few commercials, and then they've gone on and they've won Emmys and they've done big dramas and they've mm. done huge kind of shows. Um, a big up to uh, Michelle Clapton, who used to be with my agent, you know, when I first started. She's Game of Thrones Emmy, uh, Emmy Award winning. She's done The Crown. She's a remarkable tour de force as a costume designer. Mm. And, um, and so it's amazing. There's those forks in the road and often those trajectories, they either come your way or they don't necessarily, or they still might come. You know, often I would have thought that um, I love long form, but I now realize it's not the BN and end all. 
because you could work on a, a long form that no fucker will ever see. Yeah. And then you might do a commercial. I did a Heineken James Bond commercial. It was seen by billions. You know, it's, it, you know they're not necessarily the a lesser art. Yeah, I mean, I've always said I'd love to do like an audio commentary on some of the commercials I've done, but it'll nice. be... Hello, my name's Mr. Cameron. He was like, oh, that's the end of a commercial. Make I'd a like to hear that. Because no, all, all you do, it's just, it's a split screen. You get to pause the video. <laughs> you can have a yeah. chat, and then you unpause it, and you talk through the process. I mean, the thing I do love is the high turnaround that we could be doing kitchen sink drama, mm. or we could be doing uh, astronauts, Vikings. I love the fact that I've kind of made stuff, that I've got model makers. You know, I love doing the... The, you know, a good example is there was a Sainsbury's Christmas commercial a couple of years back, um, and it was with Michael Gracie, big Hollywood director. Mm. Um, he gave me huge amounts of freedom. And we did this job where it's kids putting on their own kind of nativity play and they're singing a song. Amazing. And they all come out in these batshit crazy costumes, and, yeah, you know, yeah, Christmas yeah. baubles and presents. And, and during that whole time, I again said we need a duty of care they're kids, they've got chaperones, but we've got to make sure we've got a really good crew of boys and girls in my team that can dress them and be gentle and look after them and listen to the ADs, listen to the chaperones. But at the same time, for me, I'm still being kind of really creative. Great example is we had a queen costume. The queen on telly was all I had in the treatment. Queen on telly um, as a costume. And I went... She needs to be in a telly. So it didn't go to art department. It went to me. And I said, okay, we're designing a costume and the costume is a television Brilliant. and we'll make just the top half that you'll see. So the wig, AJ, brilliant makeup artist, did the, the hair and makeup, uh, a little silver wig and we put it on this little girl and we made a, you know, queen's little tunic with the pearls and the white gloves and did all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, we had to make these props before casting was done, a month before casting wow. was done. Well, I made it going, well, they made it out of MDF. I mean, it was like 13 kilos, this television. Yeah. So it's a fucking and, uh, six-year-old And they girl said, oh, we've cast Mia. Mia was six. Yeah, yeah. Cisco, she was six years old. I, we made the television and she lifted it and she was like this, don't worry, Mr. Gammon, I can do it. <laughs> and she's kind of going all over the place. Going, and we'd lit it so that it had LEDs. So when you turn the television on, she's, her face is lit. So she's not yeah. disappeared inside this box. But it, yeah. she couldn't really hear that well. And it's kind of noisy. And it weighed 12, 13 kilos. And um, I just said, Daleks. What? You know, like Doctor Who and the Daleks. They went, what do you mean? I said, stick wheels on it. Great. So when you watch the when you watch the script when you watch the it's not script sorry when you watch the end commercial and the curtains open and all these different characters come out here comes Mia as the queen rolling out like a Dalek. Brilliant. Like, See now the thing is is like hearing that you kind of go well actually as a costume designer as a wardrobe stylist there's more than just sticking a H and M t shirt on people. Well, and no, is it those kind of jobs that you suddenly kind of like you get a little fire that reignites or something? And yeah, you just, of course you get you do. the passion. Uh, back. You know, but just as much as a DOP would or a production designer. And there are some amazing production designers who don't get to do those big builds. So mm. often it would be, you know, if it's a futuristic set or whether they're in Black Island and they've completely constructed this amazing jalopy of a, of a build that looks like a grandfather's interior of a clock or, you know, whatever. 
um, there are some of my contemporaries that are just quite happy to make mum look like mum and dad look like dad and do those domestic jobs. Mm. I like the fact that I had that diversity. You know, that's when I say the job's a gift. You know, give me kids. And the, the brief about that Sainsbury's job had a great kind of Zoom chat with Michael, the director, and he said, yes, the costumes need to look like the kids have made them themselves. But the commercial can't look shit. Yeah. The costumes need to look like their mum and dad were Vivian Westwood and Hussein Chalayan. It needs to look kind of applied. Oh, yeah. And so for me, that job was, yes. I mean, I, I think we built them for like 60 days. I was on that job, you know, because wow. it was the whole of my summer working on that. Dave Stewart, mm. my producer, you know, just remarkable. The amount of support I got on that job. The model making was, was being done in Prague. So I was commuting doing loads of um, um, fittings with other children in Prague to make sure the tone of it was right. And it was little things like, look, guys, we can't kill the kids. It's got to be smooth on the inside. We've got to be able to get kids out quick. You know, mm. people can't be freaking out if they're wearing a 3D, 3D thing and it's, you know, 80 degrees with the heat and the lights. And you, you know, we've got to think of these things. Yeah. And, you know, what was great for me is, again, I could be this kind of statesman-like, slightly... Um, bizarre character this mr gammon because i wasn't physically dressing any of the kids there was this barrier of my assistants the chaperones and i could be then saying no that doesn't look right let's change that on jamal let's put these other shoes on mia that you know i could then direct my department mm. and so the gift of doing stuff like that is then just amazing because then you're then on set with the ear of your director saying wait hold on let's do this there's a shot where we had a uh, a girl dressed as a turkey. Of course, the girl was vegan. Classic. Made it hilarious. Oh, Could no. be dressed in a turkey costume. But I said, yeah, but we don't want to make the turkey look like a really rubbish turkey. I said, let's make the costume so she looks like a feathered turkey. And then in the script, they said, she then changes her costume and she's then uh, a plucked turkey as if she's going to yeah, go yeah. in the in the oven. And I think it's either Michael or I said, well, we can do it so the feathers come off. And Michael went, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Mm. But, of course, the actress was a bit nervous. She was only 12, 13. It was the first commercial. Who had one of the leaf blowers? Who's on set with Chris Kelly, AD? Oh, legend. Blowing off the feathers. And then my girls are around. We're going to do a reset. And the producer's like, this better not take half an hour to reset. Yeah. And my team picking up feathers and jamming it all back into the costume. And then we're doing a close-up this time. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff is where if we were on a drama, I probably wouldn't even be on set. Mm. I would be working on the, the next week's filming. I'd be yeah. having the, the scripts and the lasts and the breakdown for what's coming the next day or the next week or the next problem. Or we've got your big actor coming in to have the five new uh, costumes fitted for block two. And so there's almost a, a weird solitude when you're on a drama. But on a commercial, you suddenly turn into the wardrobe supervisor. You are there running your team you know what's wrong with certain things that then need to be addressed mm. um and then you've got your model makers and it's the thing i love about the job where you might have new members of crew and they need to know as i said there's only one rooster in the hen house and joking apart it means that the buck stops with me as far as this department yeah, yeah. and i'm going to run that i mean there are times when i've been tough on ad's when i've had you know certain ad's who won't be mentioned here who will say to me Dude, how long are you going to be? And I'll say, I need half an hour. And I go, he's walking, it'll be five minutes. And I'm going, what? Uh, yeah, Don't yeah. throw me under a bus, bruv, because I'll fuck you up. 
<laughs> but I mean, that's some such rare occasions. I mean, that very rarely happens. You know, yeah. it's it's the, it's the greenbacks, the green eared. You know, the the, the less experienced. The, mm. I nearly named who that was then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to do that. I take it to my grave. Um, but because, as you said on numerous occasions on these beautiful podcasts, is it's about us working together as a team. It's not a commercial that happens to have batshit crazy costumes in it. Mm. Because often it all disappears and you just see the emotive or the feeling or the cast or the performance or, you know, the beautiful lighting or it's not, we're the sum of not any one part. Mm. We just want to do it as well as we possibly can. And for me, Cisco, it's the opportunity. I bang on about this all the time. Just give me the opportunity, man. There are times I think what keeps me, you know, I, I'm a cynical fuck at the best of times. But what kind of keeps me positive is it's about opportunity. When's the first new job? It's like I'm only as good as the last one. Where's the next one? Mm. You know, someone asked me recently, said, well, you know, what dreams have you got? And I said, I'd like to do cowboys. I haven't done cowboys. Yes. Give me a cowboy. I've done a cowboy in a job years ago. That was, that was a fork in the road. But, but do you know what I mean? I've done sci-fi. I want to do a Milky Bar commercial. Done... That's what you're saying. You want to do a Milky no, Bar no, no, commercial. No, I'm talking about kids and cowboys. 18th century. You know, it's it's that thing where there is a craft, and I think you've touched on this before, where we you can have the same amount of lights, mm. you can have the same amount of kits in the same location, and have three different gaffers and three different DOPs and they'll make it all look beautiful and different and yeah. right yeah. in different ways. Mm. And you could give me a hundred quid and um, we could go to, well, I'm against Primark and all that fast fashion shit, but on our budget, let's say we go to Primark, Primarni, if you like, and we have a hundred quid and the brilliant uh, Rebecca Hale has a hundred quid and the amazing Selena Wong has a hundred quid and, uh, Hannah Grant has that hundred quid, or uh, um, uh, Bet Action Crofts has a hundred quid, or Alexandra Day has a hundred quid. And you know what? We'll all turn up with something that will look on point. It'll all be different, but it'll all be remarkable. But you know, and that's that's the beauty of what we do, you know. And hopefully, it's our personalities that are the ones that that make us do the one thing that makes it different from what other people do. Right. I talk a lot. Sorry, sis. I love it. So. What advice have you got for younger younger self? <laughs> I forgot you even asked me that. What was I talking about? It's like you just let that ball bearing just trundle off. I just I just went on a rocky path then. I love it. But I gave a heads up to some of my brethren. They were there. Um, I saw them. I know them all. I but, love them all. Uh, yeah, all well, amazing uh, Johnny Frankel is another. But um, <laughs> I think it's um, uh, I think it's a weird one. I think if I wanted to get into film and TV. I think I should have, I think I procrastinated a lot. I think I realized that I wanted to be a fashion designer. I kept banging on about it. And then very quickly I realized that that wasn't right for me. Mm. And then I went into short form. And I think a lot of it was the, the bada bing, bada boom to get your next job. You know, when you're first starting and work isn't that fluid and you, you know, it's the hustle, which I kind of feel is back on us again. Mm. And I think in one way that was then distracting because I didn't go, but hell or high water, I'm going to be an assistant with an umbrella looking after crowd on um, 
some BBC TV drama that I don't think is very cool, mm. but I'm doing it and I'm paying my dues. And maybe that's the kind of question I should have asked myself to basically tread a path that was more for that kind of long form. Mm. But you know what? That's not necessarily the, the right way to go. I think have the courage of my conviction. Be patient. Be nice. Be under budget. Boom! I think those are those are the staples of my mantra that I say today that I do then. Learn the emphasis on the dollar. Know full well that if you can be production friendly on money and be accountable, that will always stand you in good stead. Don't hand in to accounts a bag of receipts going, I kind of spent two grand. Mm. No pounds, shilling, pence, euros, cents. How much did you spend? Where did you come in at? Because even back in the days when money was sloshing about, you had to be accountable. And mm. people would take short frith of the people that fucked up the budget if they didn't know how to make it work. And that stood me in good stead when I eventually did then go and do dramas because I was production friendly. And it's not about undercutting myself. It was more about saying, we don't need to spend all of this money when I've got great stuff and we'll rent it to you and it'll be more sustainable or you find other ways of making it work. So I think that's the advice is be accountable, be nice, be on time, be proficient and love your other departments, you know, love those other departments. Amazing. What a chat, dude. I'm just, oh. No, I could go on. Don't clap. The clap is get him off. <laughs> no, it's been an hour forty-five, and I feel like we've just like I've kind of we've just dipped into how the brain works. Yeah. It's like it's like you've just it's, top well, of your head off. You just, just it, let it, it go. It, yeah, it's the pebble that you splash on the top of it. You know when you skimmer a yeah, stone yeah. on the top of a on the crest of a wave. You know the job's a gift, man. I love yeah. it. I really do. Anything you said want to ask or we finished? No, well, I was just enjoying that little mo I was like, you know, it was just this little Well, look, the the end of the eps, I always just kind of give the floor to you. And it it's my way of kind of saying thank you for coming on and giving us your time and for and for for just not censoring yourself like you know so some people might be like oh fuck i shouldn't say that or maybe and you're just overthinking yeah. you've just kind of gone no, you've you. just been open you've just allowed yourself to kind of be true to yourself and you've said yeah. things be candid that, be funny you yeah know. Well, you know it's you it's who you are it's no, how you work you. and if anyone thinks that this is like like you were like this before I recorded. You're like this when we're at work. You're like this if I'd speak. You know, you're probably like this to your parents. Yeah. You're like this to your wife. But then you're like hopefully, this to your kids. there are, but also hopefully, if there's some of your listeners that then check out my work and still see there's a quality in there, whether it's the more pedestrian stuff or whether it's the high end stuff, you know, yeah. there's hopefully something that then comes across that is good filmmaking. We're filmmakers, you know, it happens yeah. to be in costume, but I'm a filmmaker. Boom. Well, look. I'm going to wheel away from the microphone. The floor is okay, yours. I've got it. some shout outs well, and I mean, thank yous. Go. It's all yours. Yeah, real kind of, there have always been like forks in the road. I mean, producer Richard Weger, I did a pop video that suddenly set me on a 20 year relationship with two directors who I still work with today, who I still dine out on, that still does current, fresh, and amazing work. Tom Kuntz, hear up your name. Mike McGuire, they don't work <laughs> together anymore, but. I love those gents so much. Yeah, They've been yeah. so kind of supportive. But Richard Weger 
was a producer when I was doing kind of tin pot, um, tin pot um, primos. And I just needed that cool job. I, even today, I'm still proud of that job. So a big up to them, a big up to makeup artists and production assistants. There are times when you're on set and sometimes you open up your hearts and you confide your personal shit to people. And there's been a handful of people, whether it's your Lou Hintons or your Eve Coles, and there's a lot of other amazing men and women out there who've heard some real hard-hitting personal shit from me. Mm. And they've always been there for me. So then when they've, they've heard good news, they've shed a tear for me. And those remarkable men and women mean an awful lot to me. Um, but going way, way back, Andy Blake, David Thomas, Trudy Bellinger. When I was sending faxes to record companies and one of them hit Trudy Bellinger, who was EMI commissioner at that time, then sent those details to her mates, David Thomas, big costume designer in LA now, and amazing Andy Blake. And they took a punt and they saw my shit and they saw whether it would work on their promos that they were working on at the time. And those are those little icons that hopefully the bigger, um, the bigger oak trees have grown. Mm. And all my assistants, yes, I've ridden them hard, but hopefully they knew that there was always love there and they always got paid and they were always looked after. I also want to give a big heads up to all my DOPs because my DOPs make my shit look good. And a big heads up to all my production designers because my shit blocks your shit. And because <laughs> of that, I'm more important than you. And you know that. <laughs> And my big one is to end with Susan, my partner, who I love dearly. And um, she is just one remarkable chicken. And uh, we're a team, you know, and uh, it's life is a gift. Oh, fucking jeez. <laughs> See you on the telly. You do these oh, on the telly next time. Mr. G. I'll bring props out. Oh, love it. I don't know how you're going to edit this. You're going to have to I'm come not. Like a snappy Do you know what? Minutes. I'm not going to edit it. I'm going to chop out the bit where we had to go from headphones to AirPods. Other than that, I've, it's 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 honest. It's real. It's the chat. And yeah, if man. I kind of take out bits of it, it wouldn't have the flow. It wouldn't get, you know, it's you. It's gotcha. you. So thank you so much. Oh, well, look, ladies and gents, I told you. 45 or an hour ago whatever zoom's telling me nearly two hours but whatever however long it's been i told you you were gonna have a fucking great time listening um i didn't lie the next time you see this man i want you to go and fucking tell him how you felt when you heard this and the smiles that i like i can't even i've still got a smile on my face now just thinking about dropping the <laughs> ipad back a fucking two hours oh, <laughs> that was last week oh god well look <laughs> ladies and gents i just you know these these episodes are only as good as the people that i talk to opening up and giving you something that and and we spoke about it before i started hitting record we kind of spoke about how when you're on set you get to have little snippets of time with people and there's going to be maybe even assistants that don't know this, these stories of you. And there's going to be directors who you've yeah. worked for for 15, 20 years that won't know these stories. And it's about you feeling open and honest, like feeling relaxed enough to be yourself and to be able to say what you want to say. And, and it connects to people. It does yeah. connect to people. And, no, and, thanks, and the love of the game comes across. You know, you said it. You love the industry. You love your job. And we're all fucking missing it. We're all missing yeah. having the like four or five pencils in a week and having to choose which one you're going to do. And yes, there's yeah. been this lovely little stopgap of me being able to do bath time. 
for the last four months, I've done every single bath time and it's been amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, completely. But you're right. We, Almost we, to an extent that my little one's going, can't mummy do bedtime? <laughs> I'm like, no. This is my time. It's story time. <laughs> Go, shush, talk, go to sleep. This is an interesting bit. Imagine okay. the character walking through. The costume is the gold lame. <laughs> I can see you just right, kind of getting chained. Different things like, right, you put yes. your, like, your dragon costume well, on and you come in. Like, we were doing that earlier. I was playing coffee shop. So I, I do all my characters. Um, but yeah, no, it's, you know what? And the other thing, Cisco, is, you know, thank you. And thank you for, it's an honor to be asked, you know, That's because right. it's, it's, you thought of me and you gave me the heads up and I was just honored that you, I was even on your radar because it's, it's just nice to be given the voice. And often that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, but as I said before, you are there to listen. You have great empathy. And I think great broadcasting. And I've really enjoyed the process, Cisco. I really have. Appreciate it. Well, look, ladies and gents, have a lovely, lovely week. Have a lovely weekend. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely evening. Whenever you're listening, just have a lovely time. We're all going to see each other in Black Island lunch queue very, very shortly. And oh, COVID yes. will be gone and we'll all be jabbed up and I'll be giving you all yeah. massive hugs. Then be so, like, COVID what? <laughs> be, we're on the COVID 20, man. That's it. Done. Um, so, yes, I'm just going to say it. Ladies and gents, I love you so much. Big love. And until we meet again, that is a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.